Thank you for listening to the Fisher's Life podcast. We hope this message inspires and uplifts you this week. Enjoy the word from lead pastor, Philip Daigle. First Samuel chapter nine. And I want to start with, with just two scriptures and I'm going to kind of work through this chapter. And, and I said this last week, but I want to keep saying this to us. These sermons and these messages apply to us as individuals, but I want you to also receive this just from the the space of being a community of believers that this doesn't just apply to us as individuals. It it applies to us as a community that's growing and learning and moving forward. Kish had a son named Saul, as handsome a young man as could be found anywhere in Israel. Oh, and and by the way, side fact about my my buddy Saul, he was a head taller than anyone else. Now the donkeys belonged to Saul's father, Kish. These donkeys were lost. And Kish said to his son, Saul, take one of the servants with you and go look for the donkeys. Why don't you turn to your neighbor and just say, don't worry about the donkeys. Jesus, in your name, we're so grateful for your presence, for your power, for your love. God, we, we, just, we just say thank you that you show up into our lives, that, that you make a promise to us that when we lift you up, that in spite of our humanity, in spite of our human frailty, that you show up. And when you show up, we feel your strength, we feel your kindness, we feel your grace. And we thank you, God, that you are moving us from where we are today to where you want us to go. God, you see the future, you see ahead, you you know what's coming and you've prepared something for us that we never even saw coming and we thank you for that when we can't even see what's ahead that we trust in who you are and we thank you for it in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Growing up, I remember I was was about 18 years old and and I was looking for a side job and, and there was a wealthy man in our church in Houston, Texas and me and a friend of mine, we needed to make some extra money and and he came to us and he said, hey, guys, y'all, you need to make some cash. And we said, yes, absolutely. And he said, well, I got a job for you. And he said, it's, it's going to be a job where you got you to get there on time. You got to be there. And it's 7 a.m. on a Saturday. And, you know, at 16, 17 years old, it, it's, um, it's not always easy to get up that early in the morning. Hey, man, come on, somebody. But once you have kids, God just prepares you to wake up at any hour of the night, any any hour of the morning, it could be 4 or 5 a.m., doesn't matter now. It's just like, okay, I'm up, whatever. And, but when you're in high school, it's a little bit more difficult. And, and at that age, you know, I'm not even a video game player, but my buddy was. And he said, hey, let's, you know, we're playing video games. And we knew we had to get up early. We were like, we'll, we'll take a nap after we work. And so we stayed up playing video games. And, of course, we woke up late. And, and uh, you know, I, I'll never forget feeling like, oh, man, he said we had to be there at 7. We got to go. And. And, and usually every decision that I've ever made that was the wrong decision was usually somebody else's fault. And in this case, it was my buddy's fault. But he said, hey, let's get a, let's get a sausage, egg, and cheese croissant from Jack in the Box. And I was like, oh, man, that just made my mouth water just now. I was like, that sounds right. And I'm like, but, dude, if we do that, we don't have time to get there on time. We had woken up a little bit early if we hadn't stayed up late playing video games. He said, no, we, we need some breakfast. And he said, it's okay if we're like five minutes late. And once again, I'll tell you, I wasn't the one saying this. It was my friend that pushed me into this awful decision. We go get that jack-in-the-box croissant. Can I tell you, oh, it was amazing. One of the best croissants I've ever had in my life. 
But we got to the job site at 7.05, and our friend who we loved, and again, an amazing man in our church, the kindest man you would ever meet, he said, hey guys, you know, I told you to be here at 7. We're like, yeah, so, yeah we're 7.05, you know, we're here. He's like, I, I know, but I need y'all to go home. Like, what? He's like, I said seven. And in that moment, if I, could, if I could go back and reverse everything that had just happened, I wouldn't stay up late playing video games. I wouldn't have gone the Jack in the Box, get the Jack in the Box croissant. I wouldn't have done all of those things. In that moment, I learned a very like, hard, tough lesson that he meant what he said. And so many times in life, we, we, we think that things can go a certain way. And sometimes we make mistakes really not, not because we have bad intentions. Can I tell you, it wasn't my intention to be late to that job site. But I learned a lesson in that moment, and I'll never forget that moment because I, I realized that I had made a mistake. I, I, I was in, embarrassed. I was sad about not getting the money. Hey, man, come on, somebody. I'd already wasted all my money on jack-in-the-box croissants. But no matter how hard I tried in that moment, I, I couldn't fix the situation. I, I couldn't go back and change what had happened that night, what had happened that morning, sleeping in. I couldn't change. And no matter what, what was done, was done. And today, maybe it's not that you were late to a job site. Maybe your situation is not that. But most likely, you walked into this room here this morning with baggage of the past. I don't have to be a rocket scientist here this morning to know that we all have baggage that we all have mistakes that we've made. And, and when preachers begin to preach about the past and they begin to talk about mistakes and things of the past, when somebody talks like this, you go to this place, you go to the thing that you wish you didn't say, you go to the thing that you wish you hadn't done, you go to the thing that you wish you hadn't thought. And when we, we talk about shame and guilt and baggage, it's where our mind goes to. And no matter what, You've tried to fix it, and no matter what we do, you cannot change what has happened. And that's really what the situation here is in this story with this guy named Saul. The Bible describes him in this moment as being the most handsome man in the land. Oh, and by the way, he's head and shoulders taller than anyone else. Saul was the guy that guys wanted to, I mean, that girls wanted to marry and that guys wanted to be. Amen. <laughs> This was the guy that I wanted to be growing up. Head and shoulders taller than everyone else. My greatest desire in life was to be over six feet tall. And, and at age 13 at West Memorial Junior High, I was 5'11". At 13 years old, I was the tallest kid in West Memorial Junior High at 13. And God saw my pride and struck me down, and I have never grown a full inch since then. I am under six feet tall. Now, I'll tell you, my driver's license, it says that I'm six feet, but because they let me write it in. I said, we can round up. It's no big deal. So if the state of Texas and the state of Indiana, a man is going to recognize me as six foot, then you know what? Look, if I'm ever on the loose and the police are trying to describe me, they're like, this is a six foot man. They'll never catch me because they're like, that dude is not six foot. <laughs> Saul was the one that everyone wanted to be. He was handsome. He was tall. Saul represents potential. 
Saul represents possibility. Saul represents in this moment what, what could be. And that's what you represent here in this room. Because whether you know it or not, each and every person that's in this room, no matter your age, no matter your background, no matter where you came from, you are full of possibility. You are full of opportunity. And this is why I love speaking to people. Because I just love reminding people that no matter where you're at in life, that you are full of potential. Because I know that God wants to bring out the best in each and every one of us. I know the possibilities. I know the capabilities because I know our God. And I love that God does it. He changes our world. He changes our life. But when he shows up, he always calls us to something greater. He always calls us to something better. And when I was 17 years old, my dad gave me a book. And it was this, it, it was called this, How to Be Like Mike. And, and I love this book because it was a book about Michael Jordan. And he, he said this, he said, you know, every game that I play, he said, I look into the stands and I try to find one dad and one son. And he said, and I look into the stands and I see them. And, and he said, and it reminds me that this may be the one chance that they ever get to see Michael Jordan play. And he said, so with that knowledge and that realization, I'm going to give this game the very best that I have. Can I tell you, when I preach the gospel, I love to look into the crowd and think this may be the one chance that I have to reach somebody with the good news and the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I'll tell you, I want to give it everything that I have, knowing that this is the one chance. This may be the one shot that I have to convince you that there is a calling that is on your life. I, this is the one chance, maybe the one chance to convince you that his hand is on you. And whether you realize it or not, it does not change the fact that you are a chosen generation, that you are a royal priesthood, that you are a city set on a hill. You may not know it. You may not remind yourself of it. You may forget it. But can I tell you here this morning, God is trying to call you and he's trying to reach you to remind you that there is something something incredible that is on your life. God has called you. God has called his church. God has anointed you. His hand is on you. And it's in services like this on Sunday mornings. And it's in conferences and prayer meetings when God calls you and he reminds you as, as some preacher is preaching and he's preaching about the goodness of God, that God begins to speak to your heart and he reminds you of your calling. He reminds you of your potential. He reminds you of your purpose. And once you have experienced the power of the presence of God, I said this just the other day, you cannot go back. And I love to say this to young people, because once you have experienced the Jesus that I know, you cannot go back. Your life will never be the same. You can try. You can try to go back. But when you're sitting at that party with those friends and they're having a good time, there's something on the inside of you that's saying, this is not where I'm supposed to be. This is not what I'm supposed to be doing. God has a calling on my life. He's got a purpose on my life. And I just want you to know here this morning, you're going to be doing things in life and you may forget that God has called you. But I'm here to remind you here this morning that God has called you to something better. But the problem with potential we all have potential, and we all need to be reminded of our potential. But the problem with potential is that potential on its own actually means nothing. I know this because I am a fan of Houston sports, and my, my Houston Rockets, they had the number one pick last year, and they picked Jalen Green, and, and they, they love to say this. This is a player that is full of potential. And we had the worst season ever. Like, they got my hopes up. I'm like, this dude is going to save the franchise. And they love to throw out this term, potential. And they trick fans all the time. Hey, you potentially 
This could be a game changer. I'm like, oh man, I'm gonna buy season tickets. I'm gonna go to games. Like this could turn this thing around. How many know that potential by itself means nothing? And while there's potential in this room, that potential is great, but potential itself will not change the world. You cannot win on potential. You cannot grow on potential. Potential is nothing if it stays where it is. The thing about potential is that it has to be activated. We all have a gifting. We all have talents. We all have abilities. We all have a calling. We all have potential. Romans says that the gifts and the calling of God are without repentance. In other words, God is not sorry that he calls you when he places his hand on you. But there is a difference between being called and walking in that calling. If you sit on what could be, you'll never experience what you're supposed to be. That potential, it has to be developed. And you never know what your true potential is until you put it to work. And Saul is this guy. He is full of potential. I mean, he, he, he is the guy. He's tall. He's hands, handsome. He's good looking. He is full of potential. But when we see him in this chapter, he's in a really odd place. The most handsome the tallest. My man has it going on. And when we see him in this story, he's watching donkeys. He's responsible for donkeys. Verse 3 says, Now the donkeys belonging to Saul's father Kish were lost. And Kish said to his son Saul, Take one of the servants with you and go look for the donkeys. Now we don't know much about the donkeys. We just know that Saul is a guy that is full of potential and then loses donkeys. Now, I'm not the smartest guy, but I know this about donkeys. They are not the smartest animals either. Um, they aren't the fastest. They aren't cunning. Um, they're, they're not out trying to scheme and, and get away from you. They, they're the donkeys, this, this individual saw he, he has to be high key, not caring to lose donkeys. Like you have to try really hard to lose donkeys. Like you really have to not be paying attention. Saul was tasked with watching the donkeys, a mundane, boring, seemingly insignificant task. And I just have to believe that the reason is because Saul thought his potential was greater than his assignment. He sees this task of watching donkeys as an insignificant task. He sees it as Beneath him, Dad, I'm Saul, I'm tall, I'm good looking, I've got it going on. Why am I watching the donkeys? And, and all of a sudden he goes from this guy that is full of potential to this guy known as the person that can't even watch donkeys. Taller, better, smarter, but now he's known. You don't even have the potential to take care of donkeys. This moment that seems insignificant, it seems like it has no bearing on anything. It, it, it seems like it's beneath him. It now has the, the power to change his entire future. Something that didn't seem to matter, something that wasn't important, all of a sudden now it has the potential to change his life, to change what he is known as. And here's what happens when you don't think a moment matters in your life, when you aren't careful with the decisions that you make in it, it's amazing how many life-altering decisions are made in moments that we don't think matter. 
When you don't think a season is important in your life, you don't evaluate your relationships. When you don't think a season is important in your life, you don't manage your time. When you don't think a season is important in your life, you don't manage your finances the way that you should. And this happens so many times for young adults, but it happens to adults as well, where we think this season doesn't matter. And so we think this relationship is okay. We think this season doesn't matter so we can blow our money over here. We think this season isn't important. So we make decisions that are life altering decisions because they're made in moments that we don't think matter. And when you make decisions in moments that you don't think matter, you experience consequences that go far beyond those moments. Saul assumed in this moment that potential would save him. That potential would bail him out. And it's amazing how many times this happens. Like, I, I, I didn't think it mattered to me, so, so I got into that relationship. I, I, I had potential, and, and I just thought that at some point my potential would make up for the decisions that I was making. Can, can I tell you here this morning that we are born looking like our parents, but we die looking like our decisions? Can you imagine Saul just scrolling through Instagram, getting lost in reels, and all of a sudden he turns around? Oh my goodness, where are the donkeys? How long have I been looking at TikTok? For those that are 40 and older, TikTok is this social media thing. You just. His dad, Kish, he shows up. He says, okay, you, you lost the donkeys. You made a mistake. You're going to fix it. Can't tell you how many times I've said this to my kid. You made the mess. You're going to clean it up. Really because I didn't want to clean it up for them. Acting like I was teaching them a real big decision, a real big life experience, and really I just not, did not want to clean up that mess. But Kish shows up, and he, he sees Saul. He sees that he's made this mistake, and he says, okay, you are going to find the donkeys. This morning, the donkeys represent a huge mistake that, and he and his servant, they set out to fix this mistake. That This is Saul's attempt to make it right. So he, the Bible says in verse 4 that he passed through the hill country of Ephraim and, and through this other area, but they did not find them. Then they, they went on to the district of Benjamin, but they didn't find him there. And in verse 5, he, he goes to the district of Zuf, but Saul said to the servant, hey, we aren't finding the donkeys anywhere. Let's go back. Because we just can't seem to find the donkeys. Let's give up. We can't seem to fix the mistake that we made. Saul and his friend, they go town to town. The Bible tells us for three days and for 45 miles on foot trying to fix the failure of the past. How many know that we will do anything to fix what we've messed up? When we make mistakes in life, we can spend the rest of our life trying to fix the thing that we never should have done, that we never should have said. And ultimately, he comes to the place where he realizes, I'm never going to be able to fix this mistake. What is lost is lost. And he had gone everywhere, but he ended up right back where he started. And this is what we do in our lives in our search to replace what we've lost. We go from relationship to relationship. We go from job to job. We go from addiction to addiction, from source to source. Maybe if I get that person, I'll fix what happened to me. Maybe if I get those likes on Instagram, maybe if I'm known for this, maybe if I have this job, maybe if I have this money, maybe it will replace 
some things that I lost in my life. Maybe this is where I will find what I have been missing. Maybe if I get into that school, maybe if I get this attention, maybe if I get noticed for this, maybe if I'm known for this, but can I tell you the only thing worse than failure is continued failure because many times in life you get what you think that you want, but it doesn't replace what you've lost. And this is the story of sin in our lives. This is what sin cycles do in our lives. We fail and we try to fix it. We fail and we try to fix it again. We even try harder. We try to do better. We come to church thinking it will grow our self-discipline or fix a situation or even fix us. And that's for many of us, that's the story of our lives. We said that we could do better. We said that we would do better, that we would never let something happen to this to our lives again like this. But here's what happens so many times. You are never going to overcome the thing that is defeating you by being stronger, by having more discipline or trying harder. The only way that you can overcome is through the power of the Holy Spirit. I just encourage you. Self-discipline is a fruit of the Spirit. Like it's something that God gives you. But if you're thinking discipline is the thing that's going to save you, it can, you can never be disciplined enough. Humanity has been trying it for years, and we constantly think that we have the willpower to keep ourselves pure, to keep ourselves clean. Can I tell you, it only comes from the power of the Holy Spirit. If you don't know what the Holy Spirit does and who He is, the Holy Spirit is fuel for the fight and is strength for the journey. 1 Samuel chapter 9, verse 6. They get to this town, and his servant tells him, hey, look, we've looked everywhere, but in this town, there's a man of God. He's highly respected, and everything he, he says come true. And, and here's what this man of God represents. Samuel represents his God himself in this story. The prophet was the voice of God to the people, and pretty much he's saying, this is what he's saying, we have tried everything else. We might as well try God. We've tried everything to replace what we've lost. We might as well try God. Can I tell you, that's why people come to church. They've tried everything. They've gone to college and they've tried relationships. They've, they've gone to jobs and tried to find fulfillment in their job. And they get to the moment and they get to the place where they say, I've tried everything else to replace what I lost. I might as well try God. Can I tell you, when people come to that moment, I want to be a church and I want to be a house that says, come on with open arms. Like, I don't know your problems. I don't know your mess, but come on in the house. Like, we don't know what you've been through. I don't care if God is a last ditch effort. I don't care if they're searching God fully. I don't care why they come in the room. I just want to get people into the presence of God. Too many times we judge people based on their motives and based on their intention. When can I tell you, all I've got to do is get people in the presence of God. I am a firm believer that every single person that walks through these doors is full of problems and full of sin and full of mess. Even the people that are saved in the house, amen, come on somebody. But when we walk into the presence of God, everything that we do is to invite the presence of God into our lives. Every song that we sing, every light that we put up, the way we put the chairs, the way we do everything is for one reason. It's not for programs. It's not for systems. It's not to create a system of what we're doing. Here is the reason why to create an environment where someone far from God can walk in and experience the power and the goodness and the grace of Jesus. 
Maybe the thing that you're looking for won't be in that relationship. Maybe the thing that you're looking for isn't found in sex. Maybe the thing that you're looking for isn't found in a substance. Maybe the thing that you're looking for isn't found in fame or success. Maybe everything that you need is in the person of Jesus Christ. Maybe just maybe everything that you are hoping for and everything that you want and everything that you desire is found in Jesus. Saul, in this moment, his servant says, let's try the house of God. Let's try the man of God. And Saul says, fine. We've looked everywhere. Let's try. Let's try Samuel. For Samuel chapter 9, verse 7. It's such an interesting scripture, though, because while Saul agrees to go, he makes this excuse. He says, if we go, what can we give the man We have no food in our sacks. We have no gift to take the man of God. What do we have? What a humanity response. When we finally make the decision to try God, when we finally make the decision to try Jesus, we tried everything else. Our first thought is, I have nothing to offer. I've lost everything in my journey to replace what I have lost. And this is what we do with God when we make the church about our talent and what we have to offer and what we have to give. Can I tell you, Jesus wants what you have, but he doesn't care what you have. He just wants you to give what you have. It doesn't matter if it's a little. It doesn't matter if it's a lot. It doesn't matter if you're the most talented person in the room, the person with the best personality, the person that everyone loves, or the person that no one talks to, and you you feel like you don't have anything to offer. Can I tell you, our response, our humanity response is always like, well, if I'm going to God, I have to have something to give. And many times we, we stop ourselves short because we think serving in the church is about our talent. It's about what we have to offer. It's about what we have to give rather than what Jesus did 2,000 years ago. Can I tell you, we're going to be serving. We're going to be creating environments for you to find your purpose. We're going to be creating environments for you to get involved and make a difference. But it's for one reason. Because 2,000 years ago, Jesus died on the cross for our sin, and we don't have to give to serve, to prove, to prove to Jesus, or to prove to the world, or to prove to ourselves. We don't give to receive something. I'll just tell you right now, if you're serving on the team to get something, you are serving for the wrong reasons. You don't give to receive. You give because of what you've already received. Can I tell you, I give of my tithes. I give of my money. The other side is, like, if, if you don't... Like, you have to be blessed first to give a blessing. Think about it like this. If, if God never blessed you with $20, you don't have $20 to give. Now, you can pledge. You can promise. <laughs> I promise at some point. But unless God blesses you, you don't have something to give in the first place. We don't realize so many times that everything that we have to give already came from the one that blessed us. And we think that we have to give to get something in return. We already have received everything that God wants to give us. Now he's going to bless us. He's going to do things in our life. But we've got to get the motive right. We're not serving. We're not giving to receive something. We are serving because Jesus served us 2,000 years ago. He laid down his life. So we laid down ours. And there is a benefit to serving. There is a benefit to praying. There's a benefit. But you've got to get the motives right. 
Because if you're serving, if you're giving to receive something, when you don't receive it, you feel gypped. I gave, so I should return, I should get something in return. Can I tell you that's not a gift? That's called bartering. It's a trade. You're trying to trade with God when what God is saying, can you give without any strings attached? Can you serve? Can you serve in kids? Can I tell you the easiest place to find out if you're serving with no strings attached is to serve in kids? <laughs> no immediate benefit. <laughs> I love watching Sunday school teachers come out of Sunday school, their hair's frazzled like they're stressed to the max, like every kid has just drove them nuts. We're not giving to receive something. We're giving because Jesus blessed us already. And that's what Saul shows us this example. Like, well, what do I have to give? What do I have to offer? What would he want with me? What would he want with my addiction? I don't have anything to give to God. What would he want with my talentless self? I get that he, he wants to help them and he wants to help people. And I'm just me and I have nothing of value to give. Saul was so aware of his deficiencies. Saul was so aware of what he did not have. Saul was so aware of his lack. Saul was so aware of what he did not have that he was dismissing the possibility of something greater. Can I tell you, we do that as a body of believers. We do it as individuals. When we begin to move the church forward and begin to do things, our first instinct is to say what we don't have. Our first instinct is to say, we wish we had this. We're aware. We're always so aware of our deficiencies. But if we can just give God what we have, he always takes what we have and turns it into something greater. It doesn't matter if it's a little. It doesn't matter if it's a lot. When you give God what you have, he takes it and he turns it into something amazing. Don't let the thing that limits you keep you from your potential. And I get it there this morning. You may be aware of what limits you. You may be aware of your deficiencies. You may be very aware of your insecurities. You may be very aware of your lack. You may be very aware of what you do not have. But I'm here to tell you, when you give God what you've got, when you give God that little, even if it's nothing, God can take your nothing and turn it into something. Can I tell you, he spoke when there was nothing and worlds were formed. He's not afraid of your nothing. He takes nothing even and turns it God takes what you've got God can do more with a little God can do more with our insignificant God can do more with the life that you think you have even ruined Jesus is preaching to 20,000 people and he says to his disciples what do you have we don't have a lot Jesus you don't want what we have in this whole place we've asked 20,000 people we got five loaves Two fish, even a little bit, is more than enough. Your inadequacy, your inability to measure up, God uses for his kingdom. First Samuel chapter 9, verse 15 says, now, now the day before Saul came, the Lord had revealed to Saul about this time tomorrow. He said, I'm going to send you a man from the land of Benjamin. Guess what? He's going to be the ruler over my people. And he's going to deliver my people out of the hand of the Philistines. You know, this is what I love about God. If it's, if it's, if it's me and I'm talking to Samuel about Saul, I'm like, hey, hey, there's this guy coming tomorrow. Bro, he's the guy that can't even watch donkeys. Like, if, if, you've, heard about, if you've heard about Saul, this is the guy 
Like, and this is, if it's like me talking about my friends, like I'm going to perfectly describe their golf game and how bad it is. Like you should know this guy, he's going to slice it right every time. No matter what he does, he's going to try really hard. He slices it right every single time. You got to know this is the guy that's coming. You know, but God doesn't describe people the way that we do. God doesn't describe people by our deficiencies. God doesn't describe people by where we fall short. God doesn't describe people by, by what we lack. God doesn't say that, oh, he's the guy that can't manage his own resources, that he, he's the guy that can't even manage what he's been given, that he was full of potential. He's tall and he's good looking, but man, I'm going to tell you right now, he blows it every single time. But rather he says, here comes Saul and he's going to rescue my people. You see, this is what I love about God. He doesn't call us out by our sin. He doesn't call us out by our mistakes. He doesn't call us out by what we did last night. He calls us out by where we are going, not by where we have been. Yeah, you lost some donkeys. Yeah, you were entitled. Yeah, you were selfish. Yeah, you dropped the ball. Yeah, you missed the moment. But I see you in your potential. I see you in your calling. I see who you are going to become. I see what can be. Is anybody thankful that God calls us by our potential? He calls us by what we can be. He doesn't call us by, by our mistakes. God always calls us to someplace new. He calls us where we are going, not by where we have been. And I'm so thankful. I wouldn't be here today if he called me by where I have been, but he's calling me by where I am going. God calls us. He strengthens us. He gives purpose to us. And this is what he says about Saul. He says, Saul is going to be the one who delivers my people and Saul and Samuel meet. And I'm just sure, I'm sure that this is how it went the first time that, that they met. And I imagine this is how it was going to go. That when Saul meets Samuel, the man of God, Saul immediately wants to tell him his problems. He said, hey, dude, uh, had some donkeys at one point. Life was going well. Lost the donkeys. Um, don't know where to look. Don't know what to do. Can you help me? And I think he expects in that moment for Samuel to say, God has revealed to me where your donkeys are. God has shown me how to fix your problem. God has shown me that if you go look over there, that you're going to find what you've been missing. That if you look harder and you run harder, that you do a little more, if you give a little more. Because we always expect, expect the word of God to say to us, be better do more, try harder. But instead, Samuel ignores his problem. He says, I've lost the donkeys. Samuel says, he said, instead, go up, go up with me. He said, let's go up to the place of worship. Every time that we come to Jesus with our problems, he doesn't ignore our problems. He says, before we deal with this, let's go up to the place of worship. Can I tell you, that's why worship is so important in this house. As we begin to lift up the name of Jesus, here's what we're saying. Jesus, you're more important than my problems. You're more important than my sin. You're, you're more important than what I'm going through right now. So I take this moment and I take this time out 
to come to a place of worship. I think God looks at our struggle and our attempts to fix our broken past, and he doesn't meet it with condemnation. He, he doesn't meet our mistakes with shame and guilt. He doesn't meet our mistakes by asking us for more effort. Matthew chapter 11, and I'm coming to a close. Matthew chapter 11 says, All who are weary and heavy burden. Everybody who's made a mistake. Everybody who has some regret. Anyone that's tired and has a heavy burden, come to me and I'll give you rest. Can I tell you what the house of God should be? It should be a place of rest. You're going to hear me say it a lot. The church is not meant to be endured. It's meant to be enjoyed. It's meant to be a place of refreshing. That we're renewed by the power of the Holy Spirit. That we're refreshed. That we have a supernatural strength. When you come in, you shouldn't leave tired. You should leave energized by what God is doing in your life and in your heart. And there are many that are in this room that have been chasing and you even do it in the house of God. You're looking for the wrong thing. You're trying to fix what you broke. You're trying to find what you've lost. You've been chasing donkeys. You've been chasing your mistakes your entire life. You've been chasing your own brokenness, hoping that you can recapture the thing that you lost. Can I tell you here this morning, you will never reclaim your innocence, but you can claim your future. You may never find what you lost a long time ago, but you will find out the person that you are going to become. Jesus says, if you are tired, come to me. Samuel says in this moment, that's great. I'm sorry you lost the donkeys, but let's go worship. Saul agrees in this moment by agreeing. Saul is essentially saying, I, whatever. I can't fix the donkeys. I give up. And I think many times people give up, not on their lives, but on the thought that they may not live up to the potential that they thought that they would be. I just may not be the person that people thought I was going to become, so let's try this God thing. For Samuel, verse 19, it says, go to the place and worship And then we get to verse 20. And then Samuel says something so incredible. Saul shows up and he tells him what he's lost. He sells, tells him the problem. Samuel says, go worship. Saul agrees. And then the verse 20, Samuel says, oh, by the way, you know those donkeys that I ignore, the, the, the mistake that you made, you know those donkeys that you lost? Don't worry about the donkeys. They were lost three days ago, but now they have been found. And I'm here to tell you that your family is the focus of all of Israel's hopes. I can get some keys here this morning. You see, Samuel doesn't know the backstory of Saul's life. 
He doesn't know what's going on in Saul's life, but God speaks to him. Can I tell you, in a place of worship, what you have lost is not near as important as the person that you are becoming. The moment that you surrender to God, the thing that you've been trying to fix, the thing that you've been trying to replace, the moment that you surrender, oh, by the way, don't worry about the donkeys. Don't worry about the mistake that you made. Don't worry about what you have lost. What you thought was lost is always found in the presence of God. See those donkeys that you lost, it's just a part of your story. It's just a page in the chapter. It's just a chapter in the book. Oh, by the way, don't worry about the donkeys. Don't worry about the potential that you thought that you had. Don't worry about the sin. Don't worry about your failure. Don't worry about the fact that you may not be living up to the potential that everyone thought that you had. Oh, by the way, The donkeys that you spent three days looking for and 45 miles walking to find, they were found a long time ago. The thing that you thought was going to disqualify you is actually the thing that led you into the presence of God. You see, when we come face to face with our sin and our consequences, we realize that we are in desperate need of a Savior. It's a natural human instinct to go looking for things and try to fix what we've done, try to fix the mistakes that we've lost. But the God that I know and the God that I serve He allows those things to happen in our life so it can point us back to the source of everything. Can I tell you today, maybe, maybe just maybe, God's okay that you lost the donkeys. Because in your journey to find what you've lost, it always leads us to the place and leads us to the realization that there is only one source. There is only one person that can heal. There is only one person that can deliver. There is only one person that can set free. And his name is Jesus. And if you didn't make that mistake, you'll never realize. Oh, by the way, those donkeys you lost three days ago, Maybe for you, the mistake that you made wasn't three days ago. Maybe it was 30 years ago and you think about it and you go back to it. And if this mistake hadn't happened, then my life wouldn't look like this and everything wouldn't be going wrong. Maybe, just maybe God has allowed you into the presence of God to remind you the thing that you thought that was lost. You think that the thing that you thought was gone is found in one place. It's found in his presence. It was never about the donkeys. 
It was about the fact that Saul had purpose on his life. It was about the fact that God had called Saul to be king. It was about the fact that God had called Saul to deliver people that were desperate for a leader, that were desperate for a savior, that God saw Saul wherever he was in his potential and said, look, you've got greater potential than watching donkeys. There is leadership, there is calling that is on your life, but sometimes I have to allow you to lose some things that you thought were important to realize that there is a greater calling on your life. Oh, and by the way, I know you're worried about this, but you don't have to worry about that anymore. You're about to be king of Israel you're about to lead my people into the promised land. The thing we thought we lost, it's not just that it's found in the presence of God, is that what God is saying, don't worry about that anymore. There's something greater on your life. I've told this story before, but when I was 20 years old, I lost my dad. And I like talking about him, talking about him because he's a great man, incredible person in my life. 20 years later, and I've never heard anyone say a negative thing about my dad. I wish I could just take a whole sermon and talk about who he was, but you're going to hear bits and pieces of it as I minister and preach here. But There's moments where I wish my dad could see what's happening right now, but I had him for 20 years of my life and such an amazing childhood and started a storefront building in Katy, Texas and storefront church and I remember showing up and there was nobody there. It's just our family, six people. My sister played the piano, my brother played the trumpet and I played the drums. We sang songs, we worshiped together as a family. Some of the greatest memories of my life, I, I didn't know that our church was supposed to be a lot bigger. <laughs> I didn't know this wasn't supposed to be fun. But it was amazing, it was incredible. And he got sick when I was 15, he got sick with cancer. And due to the procedure that they did, he, he, wasn't, able to, he wasn't able to swallow. Um, the cancer was around his throat and so for the last five years of his life he, he ate from a feeding tube some of the last memories I have of my dad is he slowly passed away not from the cancer but from the procedures as they tried to fix what had happened Thanksgiving is coming up this year and he couldn't swallow so he would stand there in the kitchen and he would fill our drinks up and we wanted seconds, he would go get us food and he would sit there and he'd taste the food, but he'd have to spit it out. And this is the type of dad that I have. He, he didn't complain about where he was at. He just, he just served wherever he was. I remember how much joy he had serving us as a family. Like he took pride in the fact that he served us. Can I fill your drink up? Can I get you something else to eat? And we didn't see it as awkward or weird or like, what's dad doing? No, it was just, he, we were laughing and having fun. I didn't even notice it. And I'm like, dad, oh, he's, he's serving us. So I lost my dad and like any 19, 20-year-old kid, I didn't know how to process it. And 
First thing I did was go to Bible college. Thought maybe, maybe that's where I'll replace what I've lost. Went to Bible college, it was a great experience. Made a lot of relationships, incredible. Didn't find what I was looking for. Left Bible college, went into the ministry. Thought maybe, maybe if I'm a pastor, maybe if I do this thing, it'll, it'll replace this thing that I'm missing in my life. Served as youth pastor in different places, interned in churches, and loved every minute of it, enjoyed it, but didn't find what I was looking for. Took a job working offshore. I worked for five years as a roughneck, and I thought maybe out here in the middle of nowhere, I'll find what I, I'll find what I lost. See, I went from town to town. I went from place to place hoping maybe I can find what I lost. And it wasn't until I was in a service like this and we had church that we went to, had prayer partners. And after every service during worship, we'd, we'd have prayer partners. And it's something that we're going to do here. But I'll never forget, it had been 10 years after my dad had passed and no matter what I did, and I wasn't living a crazy life, I wasn't out pursuing things that were even bad, I was actually pursuing good things. Maybe this is the place where, God, you replaced what was taken from me. And it wasn't until I was in a service like this, standing there with this prayer partner who didn't know my story, but I'd finally come to the place of worship. I'd finally come to the moment of worship where I said, God, I have tried everything. Nothing seems to replace what I've lost, even things that are good things. I'm tired of looking, I'm tired of searching. God, I've just finally come to this moment and to this realization that maybe everything I need is completely found in you. Now, I'd heard this preached and talked about before. I'd heard this many times in my life, but it wasn't until I came to this moment where I finally got tired of looking for something else. And I'll never forget this prayer partner standing there in front of me, and I said, you know, I, I feel like I need forgiveness. And I remember the words so vividly and that came from my heart. I said, I feel like I need to repent for not living up to the potential of what I could have been after my dad passed. You see, he had put a lot of purpose into me. He had shown me a lot of incredible things. He had shown me the way to live. He had shown me the way to, to be everything that God had called me to be, and I just felt like I wasn't living up to my potential. And this prayer partner said, you know, that's okay if you want to ask forgiveness for that. He said, but what you really need to do is forgive your dad. I'm like, what? I was instantly angry. 
He said, you need to forgive your dad for leaving you at a time when you needed him the most. Now, it wasn't my dad's fault that he left. But what I didn't know is that for 10 years I had been searching for something that I thought that I needed. Can I tell you, when we come into the presence of God, into the house of God, it's in a, it's a confusing place sometimes because we, we come in with the expectation and the hope and the desire that, God, you'll fix this. That you'll make everything right. That the thing that I lost, that the thing that I'm looking for, and what God wants to tell you, it's not found in that spouse. It's not found in that job. It's not found in that school. It's not found in that relationship. That all of those things are a benefit. That when you come into the presence of God, here's what he says. You found your purpose. Oh, by the way, don't worry about the spouse. Don't worry about the job. You've, he, I've already prepared that thing for you. The thing that you thought that you lost a long time ago is always found in the presence of God. See, what I... What I didn't realize is the thing that I thought, the thing that I thought that I needed is actually what God wanted me to become for somebody else. See, my wife had just, we had just had our first son. And while I was busy trying to find what I had lost, God wanted me to be that for someone else. thought that I needed my dad. What Jesus was asking me to do is be a dad to somebody else. Many times the things that we feel that we think that we need is actually the thing that God has put in your heart to be for somebody else. Here's what I've learned in serving and helping others. If you feel lonely, be a friend to somebody else. If you're hurting, be healing for someone else. If you feel lost, start to serve someone and watch purpose come into your life. The things that we think that we need, the things that we think are going to fulfill us and bring us purpose, it's not what we think. The Bible says as we seek him first, if we seek his righteousness, then all these things will be added to us. Let's all stand. This room represents potential. This room represents possibility. It represents what could be. It represents that from the beginning of time, God has called you, he's anointed you. He's placed his hand on you. And I think, I think Saul lost the donkeys because of his own irresponsibility. I don't, think, I don't think God took the donkeys from him. But I do think God uses everything that we lose to point us 
to a greater calling. Saul leaves where he's at. The first thing that you need to do in the house of God is leave where you are. The first thing that you need to do if you're going to walk in the purpose and the plan of God for your life is to leave the place that you're in right now. I'm not talking about a physical place, but I'm talking about a place where you say, I, you know what, I'm tired of, of looking, I'm tired of searching. Maybe I just need to try this whole God thing. Maybe I need to try this whole serving thing. Maybe you've tried it before, but you tried it with the wrong motive. Maybe you thought that if I served, maybe I'll get something out of it. Maybe if I give God a chance that maybe he'll fix the thing that I've lost. This whole God thing, this whole church thing is about relationship with him. It's all about you and him. It's not anybody else. Can I tell you, when you give of your money, when you give of your time, when you give of your treasure, when you give of your effort, it's not about a pastor telling you what you have to do. It's not about a church telling you what you have to do. It's not about a culture telling you what you have to do. It's about your relationship with God and you responding to his grace and responding to his goodness and responding to his power and his love. And as you respond to him, you can't help but give of what he has done in your life I see so many people that come to church that come to the house of God that feel unfulfilled that feel like they're not doing what they need to do that feel lost in the house of God in the presence of God in the place where we talk about purpose and calling and because we're still looking for God to replace what we lost we're still looking for God to fix what is broken we're still looking for God to do for maybe he never fix fixes what is lost I tell you today, nobody's ever replaced my dad. For many years, I hoped that somebody would. But maybe the thing that I lost is the thing that pointed me in the direction of my calling and my purpose. Maybe the thing that I lost was the thing that pushed me into the place where I needed to go. Maybe the thing that I lost is the thing that God has used over and over again to remind you, you may not find what you lost, but you will find your purpose. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Nobody looking around. I'm gonna tell you, this is a house of grace. This is a place of mercy because I just believe that's who Jesus is. And I just believe with all of my heart that there are people that walk into this room that they are here today for one reason, because they have been searching and they have been looking their entire lives. And I wanna give them the bad news first. Maybe you never find what you were looking for. Maybe you, you're never able to find what you thought was lost, but here's what I can promise that you're gonna find in the presence of God. You're gonna find your purpose. You're gonna find your calling. You're gonna find your identity. You're gonna find out who you are going to become. Saul was looking for the thing that he lost when all along God had prepared him to be the king of Israel and he'll have never made it to the house of God and to the man of God if he hadn't started out searching and looking. And Samuel says, let's go up to worship. And in that place of worship, I'm here to tell you what you thought was lost has already been found, but don't even worry about it. Don't worry about what you lost. There's a greater purpose. There's a greater calling. There is a greater mission, and it's to reach people with the gospel and the good news of Jesus. 
Jesus, we stand in this place with our hands lifted and our heart open saying, Jesus, we need you. We need your presence. We need your power. We need your love. And we stand here to st just to say with all of our heart, we, we're just tired. We're tired of searching. We're tired of looking. We're tired of going from town to town and from place to place, from habit to habit, from relationship to relationship, from job to job, hoping maybe this is the thing that finally brings fulfillment. We're tired. We're weary. There's a heavy burden. But Jesus, in this place, we feel your presence and we know that when we're weary and we're tired that we can come into your presence. And here's what we see, we receive, we receive rest. We receive strength. So in this moment, for every single person in this room, we, we literally lay down our burdens. We, we lay down the thing that we've been carrying. We lay down the thing that, that we thought that we needed. We're laying down every single thing at the feet of Jesus and saying, God, we, we give our lives to you. We wanna serve you with every fiber of our being and every job that we have and every relationship that we have. There's something that's more important. There's something that's greater and a product of our relationship with you, God, is that you bless us, is that you call us, is that you redeem us. You give us purpose. You give us a mission. You give us something to do. And we stand in this moment saying, thank you that we have a calling because there's something greater than finding what we lost the greatest thing that we can ever do is walk in purpose because while purpose may be painful and it may be hard and it may be difficult we lay our head down at night knowing we're in right standing with you that one day we'll hear this with all of our heart. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. You were full of potential, but you were faithful in small things. You were faithful in the meaningless task. You were faithful in the little things. Guess what? I'm going to make you faithful over big things. Can I tell you here today, God is calling us to something greater, but we've got to start with the little. We've got to start with the small. We've got to start with the parking team. We've got to start with the hospitality team. We've got to start with, hey, making people feel welcome when we come into the house of God. We've got to start with the little things and watch God do the big things. We've got to start with giving God what we have, even if we think it's a little and watch him turn it into a lot. This morning, I don't actually really know how to close, but I feel the presence of God in this place. And if you'd like to respond to the word of God, can I tell you his presence is in the room, his power is in the room. Maybe, just maybe, the thing that you were looking for has already been found. If you want to respond to the presence of God and to the word of God, go ahead and make your way to the front. I want to spend time hanging out with people and talking to people, but I feel his presence in this room. Can I tell you, it's in his presence where everything changes. It's in his presence, not because he's going to fix something in your life, but because he's calling you to something greater. As he begins to move in this place, as he begins to deal with hearts, as he begins to 
to bring salvation into people's lives. Can I tell you, he wants to save you today. He wants to heal you today. He wants to redeem you today. Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day of healing. Today is the day to lay some things down. I don't know what you're carrying. And I don't know what you're looking for. But I know we're in God's presence. And I know that he's calling us. Not just as individuals, but as a church. To leave where we are. And to walk in purpose and calling. As they begin to sing, I just want you to spend time in his presence. You don't have to leave early. You don't have to leave. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed today's word, subscribe to hear the latest message.